want to guess what book we're in today? Ephesians chapter 6. And this means we are coming to our final study uh, within the book of Ephesians. Uh, Believe it or not, today we'll make 14 Sundays that you and I have gone through this six-chapter letter. This is the 14th Sunday. Uh, We have gone in depth. We have gone through it. We definitely uh, could go even more in depth. Now, if you think that our 14-week study in Ephesians is long, then you just need to wait till you get into the main sanctuary, all right? Um, Pastor Jack definitely goes in depth, but we want to prepare you for that moment uh, when you get into the high school ministry, when you become an adult, and we want to prepare you for your future. And so uh, the reason that we do this, the reason that we don't just kind of pick a random topic to talk about on a Sunday morning and we pick a book and go through it is because this is how the Bible is, has always been intended to be read, uh, book by book, verse by verse. And so uh, maybe for some of you, maybe for some, this was your first completed book of the Bible, that you've never gone from one page in the beginning to one page at the end and this type of study. Well, we pray that this would be the first of many, that there'd be many more books of the Bible that you would study through and read through because the word of God is like no other. It is, it is what changes us and it is what transforms our life. And so as you guys have your Bibles open, if you look there at verse 10, we now come to the finally of this book. Do you guys see the first word of verse 10? Finally. The last topic that Paul wants to teach his readers about after all the rich doctrine and all the applicable things that we've learned over the last 14 weeks, he now comes to the important topic of the reality of the spiritual battle that every Christian faces in his life. And so why don't you stand with me today for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. Now, this is a big chunk. So during our time together, we're going to do our best to get through all the verses, but we will see what happens. But we're going to start in verse 10 and we'll finish out the chapter in verse 24. Sound good? All right, look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the age, this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel." 
for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And we'll finish it out in verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from the God, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let's pray together. Fathers, we approach this final study in the book of Ephesians and we talk about the spiritual battle around us, the spiritual armor that you've supplied us. Lord, for some, this, this might be a familiar passage, but God, we pray that you give us fresh eyes today, that we will not just see it as this, this, this type of armor study, but we would see what you would want us to begin to apply to our life. We would see how the truth should be played out in our everyday lives. And so God, we pray that you go before us and in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, you may be seated. Now, within these verses, verses 10 through 18, we find two things. We find our spiritual situation and we find our spiritual solution as we come to this passage involving the armor of God. And so if you're taking notes, uh, the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is the spiritual situation. What is the spiritual situation? Well, if you look at the end of verse 11 and verse 12, you will find out that we're, we're instructed these different things, but we find out the reason why. Why do we need to be strong? Why do we need to stand? Why do we need to be covered with the armor of God? If we don't know the why, then to do the what won't make as much sense. And so I want to first point your attention to the end of verse 11. Look in your own Bible and notice he says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, who is the devil? The title devil is not his actual name. It's a title that means accuser. He is a great accuser. He's also known as Satan, which means adversary. And so whenever you think of Satan or the devil, those are two titles given to him. Those are not his names. He is the accuser and he is the adversary, meaning he goes against God. Now, both of these are titles that were given to him as a result of his rebellion against God who created him. In scripture, we also know him as the tempter, the murderer, the liar, and the God of this age. He is certainly real. And we're told here in verse 11 that the devil has wiles. Everyone say wiles. Now that's a word that we simply don't use, but what does it mean? Well, the Bible says that devil, the devil has wiles. It means that he has a certain method or mode of doing something. He has a systematic and strategic way of what he does. What he does is not random. It's planned. He doesn't just, just mess with this person and then choose to mess with that person. No, he knows what he's doing and has an implication here. A while is not just a method, but it's an, it has an implication of crafty deceptiveness. The Bible describes 
Satan as the father of lies. And so another way to put the idea of wiles is the schemes of the devil or the strategies of the devil. You guys know what a strategy is? If you've ever been on a sports team, then you know during when you face certain teams, you have different strategies depending on who is the person that you're playing, the team that you're playing. And so the strategy can change depending on who it might be. And, and for us, we know that the first while of the devil or the first strategy started in heaven. It was his rebellion against God in heaven who, when Satan tried to stir up a coup in heaven to make himself like God, he wanted to replace God. That didn't go so well. And then the second while, the second scheme we know was his plot to to get man to sin against God and forfeit that dominion that was given to them by God. Now, 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us this about this accuser, this adversary that all of us have. He says this, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This is for Christians. Christians, we don't have to be ignorant of his devices or the way he thinks. The Bible gives us enough about this, this, this foe, this enemy that we have that we can't see, but we know how he works. We know his strategies or his devices, and he always seeks to take advantage of people. That word to take advantage here means to manipulate. He tries to get the better of. And how does he do this? Well, he, do, he does this through a variety of different strategies, but he always has the same goal. Satan's number one goal is to get you to do his will and not the will of God. That is what he wants. Whatever way method, mode, strategy, or device that he can do that, this is what he wants to do. Due to his hatred of God, Satan goes after those that God loves, who are those not only that he created, all mankind, but even especially uh, those that would be called his children. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26 You can note it down. The Bible says this, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You see, there's only really two categories of people. There are those that seek to do the will of God, and there are those who unknowingly often do the will of Satan. Now, you might say, oh, no, like they just, they're just, they just don't believe in God. They're, they're good people. Well, if you're not doing the will of God, then you, by default, are doing exactly, notice, taking captive, meaning a lot of people don't know. They're blinded. That's why, as a Christian, you have to come to your senses and escape the snare, the trap of the devil. You see, Satan's greatest lie is this, that he doesn't exist and that God doesn't exist. And so we know that he has these strategies, he has these devices, and that's why we need to do what the Bible's telling us to do here today. Now notice again, look in your Bibles, look at verse 12. Verse 12 gives us this this insight that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness. You see, this is the reality. 
that as Christians, that our, our fight to do the will of God is going to have pushback. And it's going to have pushback against the handful of things that are mentioned here. This word wrestle, it means that it's not, it's not far out. It's not a far away wrestling. It is a hand-to-hand type of combat. It is to fight. It's to struggle and to engage in close hand-to-hand combat, meaning this is individual to you. This is not just a fight that your parents are to fight on your behalf. This is something that if you are seeking to walk in the will of God, you are going to encounter this personally. In Spanish, they say mano a mano, okay? Man to man. It is is right next to each other, hand to hand. Now, notice though that our fight is not against anything physical, flesh and blood. That's the idea that, that our fight is not against people or anything physical. Now, our fight might include physical things. It often does, right? We, we're physical people. We have physical bodies. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a spirit, and that doesn't mean we don't have a soul. But in our fight to do the will of God in our life, that that which will resist us might seem physical. It's a temptation. It's a discouragement. It's a trial. But there's always the spiritual powers behind the physical. You know, it'd be easier if we could say, that our enemy was just this physical person or this physical thing, but it's not. We oftentimes can't see our enemy, though we can begin to know how he works. Now notice here, look in verse 12. We're given here an array of things that are against us, but they all point to the same leader. Notice, against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against spiritual hosts. These are those that help the devil. The list suggests that Satan has this definite army of demonic creatures, ranks of fallen angels that assist Satan in his attack against mankind. Principalities, powers, these are all terms of rulers and authorities. And we know from scripture that whether it's over different countries or whether it's the human leadership that we're familiar with, that there's always a spiritual element behind it. Yet you and I, as Christians who have the spirit of God dwelling in us, we don't need to be afraid. The Bible says that he who is in us is greater than he who is in where? The world, the world. world. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we can be assured that Jesus is enthroned far above all principalities and powers. And all these dark powers that we're talking about today will have their end. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. This passage says, Then comes the end, when he, being Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Listen, Satan and all his demonic forces, they have an end. There will be a point in time when Jesus personally will cast him into the lake of fire that we're told on that day that people will look at him who deceived the nations and they'll say they'll say that's the guy that's that's who made havoc of this world you see he will put an end to it but for now that day is yet to come and in the meantime though in Jesus Christ 
we do have victory. We're told in Colossians 2.15 that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so while their final judgment day and end is yet to come, for now, the Bible describes that Satan and his forces are still the rulers of this age, that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, and they don't even know it. But for the Christian, as you and I are in Jesus, whatever power they have against the power-filled believer, it is useless. And so for now, our war is not in the flesh only, but it is according to the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You see, you and I live in physical bodies. That's not a bad thing, but our enemy is not a physical one. And so if we only do battle by physical means and not spiritual, then it won't have a lasting impact. It won't have a lasting impact of, of any kind. And so we gotta recognize that whoever might, we, might seem is against us or whatever it might be, that there's always the spiritual powers behind, okay? So this is the spiritual situation. The Bible's clear. There is an enemy of your soul and by his typically deceptive, crafty tactics, he will get you to live a good life just away from God, just away from his will, away from what God would want you to do. But there is a solution. You can note down with me, point number two, that's the spiritual situation, but thank God he provides a spiritual solution. We find this basically in the bulk of the passage. So what do we do? What do we do in light of this? Do we need to freak out? Do we need to go home and hide ourselves in our closet? No. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. Paul here says, finally, he's bringing this letter to a close. And the last topic he uses is to warn and encourage his readers. He says, be strong. This word to be strong, it means to be enabled, to be capable of doing something. Now, it would be pretty messed up if Paul just said, all right, just be strong. The whole enemy thing, you just got to you just got to be strong, just be capable. Because Paul, Paul full well knows, knows full well that no one could do this on their own. So he doesn't just say be strong, but he adds that ta tagline, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, he doesn't say just become strong. He says to be strong. Now, while in life, if you want physical strength, it takes time. It's a process. You're not just gonna, you know, you're not gonna hit the gym once and all of a sudden you have massive arms. Like it takes, it takes time to do that. It's to be gained over a process, but spiritual strength is not something to be gained. It is something to be accessed. It's already here. If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit resides in you, God has already given you all the strength in the world. His power is available and accessible. And I don't know if you know anything about the power of God, but there's nothing too hard for him. Him who created everything as we know it out of nothing, 
him who parted the Red Sea, raised Jesus from the dead. But this power that God has, he doesn't keep to himself. Isaiah 40 verse 29 says that he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. This power isn't something that God keeps to himself, but is available and is reserved for those that believe, but you got to ask for it. God will never force his strength upon you to live the life that he wants you to live. But when you ask him, it's accessible. David in the Bible, you guys know King David? He leaves a good example of this. When he went through difficult situations, this is how he dealt with them. He went through different physical difficulties, but before he acted physically, we're told this is what he did. First Samuel chapter 30, verse six says, but David strengthened himself and the Lord his God. I love that. He didn't strengthen him. He didn't look internally. You see, the world is gonna tell you, you just need to look in yourself and you'll find it. You just need to go off for a little bit and find who you are and pull it out. The Bible says, no, you need to look to Jesus and find who he's created you to be. Because your strength, your power in this life will only come as you look to him. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What did that look like? I don't really know. The Bible doesn't say. I would think he reminded himself of what he knew about God. He would remind himself of how God God was good and faithful to him in the past. Maybe he asked God, God, would you strengthen me? God, I know that whatever I'm facing physically in this life, I can't do it without you. No doubt it was this connection. And so in this accessible and available power, this is how you and I are to put on the armor of God, in this power of God. And so despite this spiritual situation, listen, it is possible. It is possible for you to withstand the attacks in your life. God has provided it, but then we have our part. You see, God provides strength and the armor, but you and I are to strengthen ourselves in him and then put on the armor. It's God's power that we are to be strong in, but then we are the ones to put on the armor. We are directed to take up. Notice in verse uh, 10, sorry, verse 11 and verse 13, It says, take up or put on the whole armor of God. This implies responsibility on your part. Listen, everyone look at me. God will not put on the armor that he provides. He won't put it on you. You have to be the one that puts it on. He might lay it out for you. He'll say, this is what you need. This is, this is the source of strength, but you're the one every day that has to say, God, I want, I, I want to be protected today as I live for your will. Paul makes it clear that the only way we can stand against our spiritual enemy is if we put on, notice, the whole armor of God, okay? So twice, the armor of God is mentioned as a whole. Look in your Bibles, look at verse 11, and look at verse 13. Take up, he doesn't say take up most of the armor of God. He doesn't say take up as many pieces as you can put on. You see, there is a collective idea here. The armament is not mentioned in a variety pack that you can pick and choose from. You guys know what a variety pack is? 
Very convenient sometimes. That's not the armor. The armor isn't just like, ah, I'll take the sword today and the helmet and I'll leave the rest. It's a little too heavy. So, you know, I don't want to be carrying around that breastplate of righteousness too long. No, the, the armor is something that is fully whole. Now, this might seem minor, but I think it's intentional because when you put on the pieces of the armor and you put them on all together, they point to putting on Jesus. Let me illustrate what I'm, what I'm saying with a verse. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. I want you to notice some of the imagery here as I read this to you or you look on the screen. Paul would say here, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the, what does it say? Armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And then notice verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, when you put all the pieces of the armor that we're about to go through and you put them all together, the picture is Jesus. Now, I don't think that you and I need to wake up every day and we need to have this like mindset of, okay, you know, we get out of bed and then we're like, okay, the spiritual helmet of salvation, and we put it on. And I'm gonna take the sword of the spirit and, and put it in its sheath. And oh, can't forget the, the shoes of the gospel. I think there's some helpful illustrations here to, to, for our own understanding and learning. There's some doctrinal things that we're gonna go through. But listen, if you just stay close to Jesus, you're gonna have the armor on. You put on Jesus every day, meaning you seek to say, God, would you help me to live like Jesus? I believe in that moment, in that prayer, God says, boom, armor's on. You're good, covered from head to toe. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. He is our righteousness. He is the essence of the gospel. He's our peace. He is the object of our faith. He is our salvation. He is the word of God, which means all the armor points to Jesus that when we received Christ, so listen, at the moment that you received Christ, whenever that was, you then were supplied with the armor of God. You had it. It is accessible to you. But for you to then use it, you must then walk in Jesus. It's the whole idea of what we talked about even with Ellis, right? We prayed over Ellis. There's going to be a day where he's going to have to make that decision to follow Jesus. But then even then, it's not a one-time decision, Every day after that, it's going to be a moment that he has to say, I'm going to follow Jesus today. And then the next day comes, I'm going to follow Jesus today. And it is as we stay close to Jesus that we will have the armor on. And so we'll have to go through this quickly. It's not an in-depth study on the armor today, but I think it's worthy of us listing and kind of looking into. You'll notice that there are five defensive pieces of armor and one offensive piece, okay? So we have, there's six total that are mentioned for the illustration, and there are five defensive and one offensive. Let's go to the first one. If you're taking notes, we find in verse 14, we find the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, it puts it in the New King James Version kind of weird. It uses word girded, uh, to be girded, with truth around the waist. Now that's, again, not a word we typically use. 
I, I doubt if you, you know, forgot your belt. You're like, oh, I forgot to gird myself. I, I, I doubt that was something that, that would be in your vocabulary, but this is what the word means. To be girded uh, means to fasten or secure one's clothing together for the preparation of strenuous, strenuous activity or intense activity. It is an act of security for the sake of preparing to do something. Now, it's kind of like this. The modern day would be, you know, you kind of roll up your sleeves or, or you take off your jacket before you run a race. Like the idea is that you are doing something on your person to prepare you uh, for an intense moment. And the illustration is this, is that truth is a vital part of the Christian's life. That, of course, starts with us knowing the truth of God's word and then living in the truth that set us free. You see, knowing the truth is like owning the belt, but then living in the truth, would you actually be then putting on the belt? Do you guys see the difference? So knowing would be owning, but that's not gonna do it. Is it any good if you own a belt and never use it? No. And so you might know the truth, but to live and walk in the truth, now that's different. And so the belt of truth is the perfect defense against Satan, who is the father of lies and deception. That's what Jesus tells us. John 8, 44, when Jesus is speaking to some religious leaders, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Remember, you, he, they want, he said, basically, man, you're acting like Satan and you want to do what he wants you to do. And then he gives us this little insight. He says that he, being the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the liar and the father of it. You want to know who created lies? Satan himself. And so truth is the best way to combat the lies of the enemy. Now, the lies of the enemy, that's, a, that's just like broad term. But that can be wrapped up in really nice gift wrap. That can be wrapped up in things that are very persuasive and deceptive. The lies is what, is, is what Satan seeks to permeate and fill the earth with. And so how do we know? How can we discern? It's not just to know the truth, but then we got to live in the truth. And so though we aren't yet there yet, it's interesting to note that it would have been the belt of truth that would held up the sword of the spirit. That's the last offensive weapon that we'll get to, which is the word of God. Meaning that unless we live in truth, then, then we, we cannot use the word of God. It is only as we walk in the truth that God's laid out before us that we can do this. All right, secondly, he notes, verse 14, put on, having put on the breastplate of righteousness breastplate of righteousness. Now, this describes a Roman armor plate that protected one's chest. This would have been the piece of armor that protected the most vital organs within the area of the neck, all the way down to the waist, both front and back. Now, for the believer, this symbolizes the righteousness that we have in Jesus. Remember, righteousness is a really big Bible word, but it just means to be right with God righteousness, just remember to be right with God. And so because Jesus lived a life that was right with God, you and I, we've sinned. So there are things about our life that haven't been right, that, that 
in the past. And so we can't, we don't have any righteousness of ourselves. And so Jesus gives us his as we put our faith in him. But then because of that, we are to then walk or live righteously just as he did. 2 Timothy 2.22 says that righteousness is something that we are to be pursuing. And so in a similar way, to have the breastplate of righteousness is to have that, that life that Jesus lived. That's what happens when you get saved. But then to put it on is to then pursue it, to live like this. And remember we talked about Satan is an accuser. He accuses the brethren. That's what the Bible says. Just like Job. Remember when, when Satan was, was in, in, um, in heaven, he sought to accuse Job. He sought to try to go after him. And so for the, the, the life of those that live righteous, then the attacks just fall short. All right? Make sense? The third one, the shoes of the gospel, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now I gotta tell you guys, this is the one that's always kind of been like, wait, what's going on? What is a shodding and, and what, is, what is it talking about? Preparation of the gospel of peace, okay? Well, I'm calling this the shoes of the gospel. To shod, okay, that, that word is again, not a word that we're familiar with, but it means to tie on or to bind up. It's a picture of, back then they didn't have the type of shoes we have now. They didn't have like vans, Okay. Um, and so when, when they would go to battle, they would have these type of shoes that would have to be tied on not only their feet, but all the way up to their ankle. And these shoes would have been kind of like open-toed leather boots. But these ones that are, would have been for the Roman soldier would have had these kind of heavy nails on the bottom of the sole. It would have been kind of similar to a, a modern-day cleat for football, okay? It, it, the idea was not for running, but the Roman soldier would have these type of sandals, which sounds crazy, with these spikes on the bottom that would basically provide this type of traction and prevent sliding. The idea was it would, it would help to hold one's place in battle, that it, it would give them this kind of ability to, to hold ground in rocky terrain. And so the picture is this. We're, we're told that we're to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel. That word preparation means to be ready for action. It's, it is the gospel, you see, the good news that provides the Christian the right foundation, the proper footing for everything we do. You know, your body is powerless if you're wounded in your feet, and you know this is true when you've stubbed your toe really hard. You guys ever done that? You ever stubbed your toe? It's the worst pain in the world. You ever step on a Lego? Oh my gosh. It's just your foot, but it brings your whole body down. It'll bring a grown man to cry. And so think about this now. Though this, this can include sharing the gospel, it's not just about sharing the gospel, but living and standing on the gospel because it is the person who understands the truth of the gospel of peace that can go through any trial, any hardship, any attack. And the direction is to stand, right? He says, stand therefore, withstand in the evil day. And the only way we can do that is to have firm feet 
and the gospel of peace. And I like that it adds that, the gospel of peace. This is not only peace with God, but it's the peace of God. How does a Christian go through hard things in life, through deaths or broken hearts or whatever it might be? How do we keep going? How do we stand strong in the hardest of difficulties? It is when we experience the peace of God that only comes through salvation. You see, the peace of God in your life doesn't mean your life is peaceful. Sometimes, usually the peace of God comes most when life is crazy, life is hard, you feel like everything's against you, and yet inside you're like, I'm good. I have this, this, this peace that, remember, passes understanding. Fourth is the shield of faith. We find this in verse 16, and this is the only armament that's given the use or the reason along with it. Notice verse 16, it, it gives a little bit extra detail here. And he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, when it says above all, it would be better translated in addition to. It's not saying that what we're about to get into is better than the other pieces. It's just in addition to. And so we're told Notice, look on the screen or your Bibles, we're told the purpose of this one, the shield of faith. The picture is that it protects us against these fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, these are things like can be temptations. It could be deceptions. It could be trials. It could be a lot more. But it's clear that faith stops the attack of the enemy from affecting us. Does faith stop attacks? No, because the, the arrows then hit the shield. It doesn't stop it uh, from happening, but it stops it from affecting you. See, this word quench, it means to stop or to extinguish. And 1 John 5, 4 says this, For whatever is born of God, that's you and I, or born again, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, it's not our faith so much as it's what our faith is in that is able to help us to overcome anything. It's as we trust in him and walk by faith and things happen, there's, there's whatever it might be, whatever types of attacks, that the, the shield held high then of faith doesn't allow those things to penetrate our lives and get us off the course of living for the will of God. All right, so it's that shield of faith is that, that shield of trust. All right, fifthly, I know we're going through them fast, but just for the sake of time, we have to. Helmet of salvation, verse 17. Now, I love the fact that this is represented as a helmet that protects the mind, right? That protects the brain. Because one of Satan's favorite strategies is to get believers to doubt their salvation, and this is especially true from what I've seen, not just generally, but it's something that oftentimes students your age can begin to struggle with. They kind of look back to the 12 years of life they've had, 13 or 14, and they kind of wonder, well, man, did I ever, wait, when I went up on that altar call, did I mean it? Did I just pray the prayer? Did I just go because my friend was going? There can be these, these thoughts that penetrate your, your mind where you kind of go back and forth. To the point where someone will give an altar call and, and give an opportunity for those who've never received Jesus. Hey, come up and receive Jesus. And you kind of wonder, should I go up? 
and you kind of have this debate. You see, what the helmet of salvation does is it creates an assurance of salvation that results in a believer's confidence like nothing else can. See, when God gives salvation to a person, it's not something that he wants them to doubt. He wants them to be protected by the fact that no matter what they do, nothing can separate them from the love of God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't examine our lives and make sure that we're in Christ. That's what the Bible says to do. But if you have received Jesus, you never need to look back and you never need to doubt. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says this, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, Notice he adds this, the hope of salvation. The helmet creates a confident hope. And remember, hope in the Bible is not a hope so, it's a no so. And you and I can have confident expectation that if we have put our faith and trust, we've confessed him as Lord. Listen, if you want a relationship with Jesus, that's probably a pretty good indication that just, just keep walking in it. It's something that you, you've done. And so just keep going forward. And then sixth and finally, for the specific armaments, now is the one offensive weapon that's described as a sword of the Spirit, though it is the Word of God. Okay, so it's kind of tricky when you just look at it. Okay, so is it, the, is it the Spirit or is it the Word? Well, we know from the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16, that the Word of God has come through the inspired breath of God, meaning the Spirit of God is the author of the Word of God, and so they go hand in hand. It's the Spirit who wrote the Word through man, and it's the Spirit who is able to wield the Word as we take it by faith and use it. You see, the Word of God can be a dangerous thing, not under the provision of the Spirit of God. Meaning someone that can, can take the truth, it's a sword. And so you can hurt people with it. You can cut people with it. And so it needs to be used properly under the guidance of the Spirit of God. And so in Scripture, though, whenever we find the Word of God, it's also often attached to prayer. Prayer and the Word of God. And so you'll notice that then verse 18, he gets into prayer. And it's been said that this is yet another weapon that is not specifically mentioned as a weapon. It, is, it doesn't say the sword of prayer. But when you take the word of God and you take prayer to God, these really are the weapons of our warfare. Verse 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. You see, you and I have two things to go on the offense to not only protect ourselves, but to even, to even advance the gospel, to advance the kingdom of light. It is as we pray and are connected to God on behalf of other people. Notice supplication for all the saints. That's to pray for someone else. And as we properly take God's word, these are the weapons of our warfare. Second Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God. So what, what are these mighty in God weapons? Well, though it's not mentioned, the idea of prayer seems to be even more than that. 
This is the weapon of our warfare. And how else, I mean, think about it. How else do you put on the armor and keep it on, but like what we originally talked about, being connected to God in prayer? And so I, I believe the armor of God is able to be kept on as we stay connected to the Lord, of course, in prayer. And so before we close out our 14-week our study in Ephesians, let's quickly look at uh, Paul's salutation or his sayonara, his goodbye, um, but not forever. Uh, you'll notice that at verse 19 and 18, he uses kind of this opportunity uh, to ask for prayer personally. He says, and as for me, for me, he says, pray that God would provide me. He's an ambassador of the gospel. I love that Paul wasn't too big not to ask for a prayer. He, he recognized and realized that, that whatever Paul did, he went on all, the, all these missionary journeys, that it would be the prayers of people that would be the key to his success. And you'll notice in this kind of ending section, he mentions that guy named Tychicus. Okay, look there in verse 21. Imagine that was your name today. Hopefully I didn't offend anyone. Any Tychicuses in here? No? Well, Tychicus is mentioned. He says, hey, I'm going to send him to you, and he's going to comfort you, encourage you. Remember, the spiritual battle is never meant to be fought alone. And so Paul knows this, recognizes this. And uh, more than likely, he would have been the one uh, to hand deliver this letter to Ephesian, to the Ephesian believers and the rest of those there. And so let's close. Let's close with the last verse. Look in your Bibles. And I think it's fitting for us today. Last verse. It says, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Love that. In sincerity. It would, it would actually be better translated continually or unceasing. Meaning that your love for Jesus will be proved by your continuing love for Jesus. No one can say, well, I used to love Jesus. No, love by definition is lasting. You might have liked him. You might have liked to have been around the church or you like benefits that came. But anyone who has loved Jesus still loves him today. And we will experience the grace of God in our life as we just keep growing in our love for him as we recognize his great love for us. And so he says, grace be upon all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ continually. And so have you loved him? How do you know whether you, do I love him now? And Jesus said, if you love me, then obey me. And so we are to pursue him in every way. Let's, let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time in your word. God, we thank you for all that we've learned through this letter of Ephesians. God, it's been deep and rich and thick and good for our soul. And Lord, it's not going to do us much good if it just stays in our brain, stays in our knowledge. But God, would you help us to live these truths out? Lord, as we go out from this place, God, would you help us to put on the whole armor of God, put on Jesus. We know there's going to be distractions. There's going to be deceptions. There's going to be things that we encounter that is going to try to get us off track. We know that there are very real powers and, and, and darkness. And Lord, we don't want to get caught up in it. We want to put on that armor of light 
that we might be that light of the world to the, to the, to the world that is so dark that they would see us and they'd recognize us. They're not going to see the helmet. They're not going to see the breastplate. They're not going to see the sword. But God, you told us that you would return one day. You told us that you're going to come back for us. You're not going to leave us as orphans. But until that day, you told us to occupy till you come. We know that we are in enemy territory. God, would you help us not to get comfortable? But God, would we be kingdom-minded? Would we know that the kingdom of heaven, Lord, is real? The kingdom of God is existent? And one day, Lord, the victory is already secured in Jesus. One day you are going to come back as a victorious king and come back on that white horse, sword in hand. And we look forward to the day that you right all the wrongs. But until then, would you help us to be ambassadors of the gospel, representing you well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.